You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. So let's get started today. Um, let's start with one word right now, anticipation. Anticipation. Um, anticipation can be a very powerful, a very powerful emotion, very powerful feeling. Uh, with anticipation comes expectation, often um, expectancy. Uh, with anticipation also most certainly will come hope. Hope. It's a good name for a church, isn't it? Just got to keep plugging that every week. I love that. I love that. Hope, great name for a church. But listen, anticipation, expectation, um, hope, this the eagerness that is all found within. Uh, think of the different areas of anticipation in our lives, some of, the, some of the bigger ones. Think of the anticipation of spring coming. And snow melting and ice being gone. Amen. Yeah, come on now. I love that. So winter lovers, I'm sorry. Don't be offended. But I personally cannot wait for the birds to sing and the sun to shine. And, the, and the, that you, we, we're anticipating warmer weather, right? How about the anticipation of when a loved one travels from home and comes back? And the anticipation of reuniting with another human being we care for. When I travel and stuff, I I love coming out of the uh, terminal and the the doors open. And you see all those people there waiting. And sometimes they have signs of of welcome home or they have flowers again for their loved one. But you can see their faces. They are longing to see the person come through the doors that they might. They're anticipating that moment of the lock eyes and they love each other. It's just beautiful piece of humanity right there. Uh, The anticipation of a wedding day. Right? I'm a pastor. I've seen a lot of weddings, man. And it's amazing. That day comes and the nervousness and the giddiness and the, just the, the expectancy of all that that day represents as a man and a woman come together to be one flesh under God. Rightly so. Tremendous anticipation regarding weddings. Wonderful gift under the design of God. How about the anticipation, expectation of a child that's going to be born? I mean, wow, that is awesome. If you've kind of been through that or seen others again, then you're, you're waiting, you're expecting, you are hoping, you're anticipating again when this miracle of life again comes through the womb and starts to take uh, breaths of air and starts to become again known in this world and you can hold it, man, to see the mom and dad as they wait for this moment. Wow, awesome. Just an awesome sense of the anticipation that floods our lives in many different ways. However, there's one sense of anticipation, expectation that was greater than any other event in the history of the world. If you look at our series right now and you understand that when God set up his kingdom, the pattern of his kingdom in Genesis 1 and 2, and there was a perfect relationship with God and man, but then sin comes and just just devastates it, just ruins it. Sin ruins everything. And the relationship that was so harmonious between God and man is now uh, destroyed, and there's a separation between man and God because of the chasm of sin that, that man can't recover by himself or herself. And so what God does, though, in his love, in his love, he says, I got a plan. And I got a plan for my people to be restored back to myself. And I'm going to make promises of this plan. And then I'm going to see a, a kingdom set up through different kings on earth. And that was what we learned in the partial kingdom. And some of it goes well, but in the end it crashes and burns again because after all we're sinful. And God makes prophecies now. He says, well, one will come. The Messiah will come. My son will come. And he will come to save and redeem and restore and heal unlike any other. And so you have all this massive, over hundreds of years, even thousands of years, you have this massive anticipation of Messiah. And of the kingdom of God, listen, not just being talked about in the distant, 
Christians. And not just being thought about through prophecies and dreamed about, but actually to arrive here on earth. That is the greatest event ever anticipated by humanity. And that's what we get to discuss today. That God, listen, this whole message is drenched in God's love. The present kingdom is the greatest indication and greatest act of love ever presented to the human race. Because it is God sending his one and only son to save us from ourselves, to do what we could never do for ourselves, have our sins forgiven and being restored to the world, to the Lord, again, the Lord of the universe and this world. That's why in the present kingdom in Jesus Christ, he is the greatest hope we could ever imagine. Let's remember though, if you know your Bible, when the prophesied kingdom ends at the end of Malachi and the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 400 years of silence, 400 years of waiting, 400 years of wondering and sometimes confused, 400 years of watching. But then one day, one day, in some ways with little preparation, one day the gift appears. One day the gift of God arrives on earth. Like you got to, you got to understand the, how profound this truth is. All of, all of history waits for this moment. The single greatest turning point, it's, it's a, um, an historical fact that when Jesus of Nazareth, when Jesus Christ came to live in this world, this world will never be the same again. We're living proof of that right now. Like anyone with any common sense and logical sense of history cannot deny that fact because in the end of the day, God's son was sent and the world would never be the same. Why? Why? Right? Because the kingdom of God was present on this earth and this earth would never be the same again. Again, think about it. The presence of God, God himself, his kingdom, not just prophesied, now present among us, God with us, Emmanuel, again, lives will be changed forever. That's what we get to learn about today from God's word, the present kingdom. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter four. Uh, Luke, obviously, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third of four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, strongly encourage you to get there. If you need some help to find that, maybe a neighbor beside you can help you along. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 4 as our primary text, and we will see other texts as well. Now remember, as you're turning to Luke 4, last week, if you were here, I want to remind you, if you weren't, let me help you catch up. We were looking at the prophecies of the kingdom, okay? The prophecies of Messiah, the anointed one, God's servant, God's son. And one of the main prophecies we looked at was Isaiah 61, and Isaiah 61 was speaking of the anointed one who would come to set the captives free, who would be drenched in God's spirit, who would cause the blind to have sight, who would release the prisoners from the, from the prison dungeons of sin. Isaiah 61 is talking about Messiah to do these things. What Jesus does in Luke chapter 4 now, Jesus walks into a synagogue one day. He is handed the scroll of Isaiah. He unrolls it to Isaiah 61, and he reads the very prophecy concerning himself. It's an awesome part of God's word. One of my favorites for so many years. Look at, that's the context we find in Luke chapter 4. Look at verse 16. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. 
And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Coincidence? I think not. Right? He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Okay, here we go. Just imagine being there. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay, so when you're reading God's word, especially narratives like this, discipline yourself to live in the text, okay? Imagine what it was like to be here this day. Simply put, this was a bad day to miss church. Don't you agree? Like, it's just one of those days where, where like, the podcast just wouldn't cut it, all right? It just wouldn't be the same. <coughs> Messiah himself stands up in the synagogue that day, given the scroll of Isaiah. He unrolls it, deliberately chooses, again, Isaiah 61. He knows exactly what he's doing. There's no doubt. There's no bit of questioning why he is the anointed one. Like he is the one the scripture is speaking about. He reads this prophecy. He sits down. Now look at verse 20. And he rolled the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Uh, yeah, I bet they were. And he began to say to them, this is so good. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You know, I love this scene. Everyone's listening to something like we kind of walk into church that day, and you're like, Man, something feels a bit different today. Like, there's just something's unusual that's going on right now in the sovereignty and the will and the design of God. And they had their eyes fixed on this, this, this man, this, this Jesus, just seemed to be against something. You know, our number one goal as we gather as a church every week and other times we gather like this Wednesday as well, our number one goal is that we would encounter God. If we encounter God, everything God does, he does right. Whether he rebukes us, whether he encourages us, whether he corrects us or teaches us, all this is love. Whatever God does, he does. So if we encounter God, we're good. If God shows up, we're good. Whatever he does, every single time. So that's the number one thing we want to happen is we want to uh, meet with God in his presence. Well, here in Luke 4, man, they're not just looking for God's presence. They, whether they know it or not, God himself just walked in. Like God in the flesh, Jesus is God. He's fully man, fully God. And God is among, you can you imagine, like this, this synagogue couldn't be that big. And you're sitting there and you kind of all of a sudden it tunes in and the spiritual eyes are lifted and you're like, wait, wait, that guy over there? That's the Lord. Like, like that's the Messiah. Like I just, should I get his autograph? Like what should I do? I'm not quite sure, you know. But you're, you're just gonna be like, that is unbelievable. God who, who allows my heart to beat and allows my brain to think and causes my lungs to breathe. The one who made every cell in my like, if you have any awareness, this is what's going on within Luke chapter 4. It is absolutely astounding. So again, if you have some biblical knowledge and you have faith to believe, and that, wait, 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 time out, time out, time out. The moment Jesus says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, right? You're like, wait, wait, but that scripture is about the anointed one. That scripture deals with the Christ. That scripture is Messiah-based. So if you're saying that scripture is fulfilled in our hearing, that means you're the... 
Like, this is, what, this is what's going on. You're like, wait, wait, this prophecy in Isaiah 61 made 700 years before Jesus walked in the synagogue that day. 1,800 years when Abraham first received the promise from God. And then that day of all days, you're sitting there, and this man, Jesus, walks in and says, Scripture is now fulfilled pertaining to the greatest event in the history of the world when the kingdom would be present among us? just helping you understand, man. You pick up Luke 4, verse 16. This is not just any old, this is in some ways all of the Bible summarized in a passage. This is all of history culminating in this moment. But Jesus says, I've come, I've arrived. Again, again, and just imagine the profundity of what's happening. Imagine you slept in that morning. That would be a disaster, wouldn't it? And you see your friend who has gone to synagogue that day, and you're like, hey, man, what's up? How was synagogue today? And your friend says, wow, man, you know what? It was awesome. Oh, yeah, why? Messiah showed up. And he read his prophecy and said it was fulfilled. I mean, you, and you as a user, I said, oh, I shouldn't have stayed up late last night. Why did I press my snooze bar? Darn that dumb sleeping, right? But it's a, just a little point of application for us. Never sleeping when it comes to church, all right? All right? You never know what you might miss on any given Sunday, all right? right? Or in this case, Saturday night here as well, all right? So here we see, man, this is what's happening right here. I mean, it's just an unbelievable moment. And we're sensing expectancy, anticipation, and light bulbs, and joy, and just the incredible truth that is being presented by Jesus Christ. I want you to know this to you, okay? When Jesus says today the scripture's fulfilled in your hearing, he's the only person ever in history who could say and do that to fulfill that prophecy. There is no one else who ever lived, ever, no one else who has ever lived could ever say, today this prophecy has been fulfilled. Only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can do that. That's how awesome and that's how great he is because he is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. So here's another verse from Mark chapter 1. I want you to think, as we understand the present kingdom, what it means that Jesus came to earth, the magnitude of what's going on. Jesus in Mark 1, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaimed the gospel of God. Man, this is the good news of God, okay? Listen to what he says here. He says, the time is fulfilled. You're like, Again, if you are aware of what's happening biblically, you're like, what time is fulfilled? You mean the time? Like, you mean the time of Messiah? The time of the Christ? The time of God? The time of our Savior? The time of our rescuer? The time, the time of the one who has come to restore God's people back to himself? You mean the time, like that time? That time. The time is all the waiting, hundreds of years, all the anticipation. And God's like, and Jesus says, who is God, he says, the time is now. The time, I'm here. The time is fulfilled. Notice, and he, and he qualifies this. The kingdom of God is now present. The kingdom of God is at hand. Remember, again, again, the promises, the longing, the, the, the partial kingdom, which was, a, you know, excited and disappointed, and then all the prophecies, and you're waiting and waiting and waiting, and he's like, don't have to wait any longer, man. I'm here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Notice the very next commands he gives in this, in this sermon he's preaching. Repent and believe in the good news. The gospel means good news. Good news that I have come to save you from your sins. That I have come to grant eternal life. But here it is. The time is fulfilled. All of history in this moment right here. Because the kingdom of God is present in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Of God, And if you take the context of our series, if you take pattern, parish, promise, partial, and prophesy, then this is when, this is worth coming up on stage for, this is when 
The present came such a big deal. Loved ones, this is why Christmas is such a big deal. Christmas is so much more than Santa Claus, okay? Christmas is the Son of God, the kingdom on earth, God and his rescuing and purposes and joy. Just again, imagine how big a deal Christmas becomes when it's the first sign and the announcement that the kingdom is now present among us. The kingdom to save us and heal us and restore us and redeem us. See, that's, that's why Christmas came and just... So tired of what our world has done with Christmas. That is why the incarnation, God becoming flesh, that's why the shepherds ran. That's why John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb for joy. That's why the wise men fell down and worshiped exceedingly with great joy. That's why Mary pondered in her heart. That's why Simeon held Jesus as a baby and says, I can die now because I've seen your salvation. They all understood on some level at that moment, they understood this was it. This is the time in history that all of humanity was waiting for. God has come in the flesh to save us from ourselves. The kingdom of God present on earth. Again, this place would never, ever be the same again. By the way, proven today as people are baptized, testifying to the reality of the kingdom of God that now exists within them and they belong to God's kingdom and God's king, his son, Jesus Christ. It's just awesome. And you can't stop them. That's why the, the present kingdom has such massive magnitude. What we're gonna do now is we're going to answer this question, what is the impact then that God made his kingdom present? What is the theological realities I need to be aware of? And I want to borrow Von Roberts' outline in his chapter in this because I think it's marvelous. Now, what's coming, okay, what's coming is going to be um, heavily theological, but I'm hoping it's going to be tremendously inspirational, okay? If you get overwhelmed a little bit, double back, Listen to the message again. Get your Bible or whatever it is. But these are the, because the kingdom is present, why is that so significant? Why was the world never the same again? We're going to see four main theological points of the astounding reality that God's kingdom was present. Here's number one. It's this. Jesus is the true Adam and true Israel. You're like, what does that mean? Let me explain. When Jesus comes to earth and the kingdom is present. Remember, Adam and Eve blew it. God says, here's the commands, here's the order. Don't do this one thing. They couldn't do that. They sinned. They are banished from God's presence. The Israelites blew it big time, right? God's like, if you do well, you'll be blessed. If you sin, you'll be cursed. And they went a couple of good days, mostly bad days. They totally blew it. Adam in his sin, the Israelites in their sin, they could not fulfill God's requirements because of their sinfulness. Therefore, they're separated from God. God had to send one, listen carefully, God had to send one who could fulfill his law, who would um, be perfect in his life, who is able to redeem God's people to himself. We can't, Adam couldn't do it, the Israelites couldn't do it, you and I can't do that because we're sinful. Jesus is the only one who could do this, okay? So what we're learning here, as long as we're under Adam alone, we inherit his sin and we prove it with our lives. I mean, how long does it take a child to learn how to sin? Uh, not very long, and they learn themselves, right? And we ourselves prove that we're sinners every day because we've already sinned many times this week, if not today, many times already, okay? We need someone beyond ourselves. Here's what Romans 5 says this about 
Adam and then Jesus, the second Adam, as it's referred to in Scripture. Watch this, okay? Here's the gospel in one way or another. For as by one man's disobedience, that's Adam, Adam's sin, the many, the rest of us, all of humanity, were made sinners. Now watch the transition. Bad news, now comes good news. So by the one man, Jesus, one man's obedience, the many, those who trust in Christ by faith, they will be made righteous by the righteousness of Christ upon their lives. Here's how Roberts expresses it in his chapter. Here's a chart. I'm hoping, now be very careful right now because your life could change right now. If you're here right now and you do not know Jesus Christ, you've never been truly, do you hear the testimonies in the baptism tank, even this service? I thought I knew God. I was in the Catholic church, wherever it might be. I had a system of religion. I had a knowledge of God. I did not know God truly in my heart. I'm telling you, that is such an important understanding. There are so many people, I believe in God, but do you know Christ? Do you have his spirit living within you? Has he actually made a difference and changed you? Is it by faith or by works? Works gets you nowhere, man. It's faith in the work that Christ has done. So watch. If we're connected to Adam, Adam sinned, and therefore he rightly deserved condemnation and death. All human beings ever born sin. So therefore, unless we have Christ, we're under Adam, the one, the many, we're done. We're dead. The human race is condemned under death. Rightly so. But Jesus Christ came. See, God loved the world. This whole message is God's love dripping with God's love. God loved us so much, he sent his son. His son to live the perfect life in righteousness so that ultimately he would pay for our sins to give us the chance to have life and be justified innocent. Think of a courtroom. In a courtroom under Adam, God goes, bam, gavel down, guilty. With Christ, if we have Christ on our side, if Christ lives within us, if we trust in him, God sees his son, he sees the righteousness of Christ on us, he goes gavel down innocent because my son is in you. Okay? So when we belong to Christ, the many, because of his, not our righteousness, works doesn't happen for us. It's his works, not ours. Can't be a good enough person. His righteousness is on our lives. We then are justified. We have eternal life. That's called the true Christian the true Christian who is truly living for Christ. Okay, so, so, so get this. The present kingdom is such a big deal because Jesus came to fulfill what Adam and Israel could not, what you and I could not. He came to fulfill the law, to live a perfect life, to die for our sins that we might be saved. Theological point number two in the present kingdom is this. Jesus is the true temple. Jesus is the true temple. What does that mean? Let me explain this too. Now, let me just say this, okay? Every, I struggle with this a little bit today because every point I'm about to unpack for you is like so massive in God's word. Like every point here is this massive understanding of theology, but I'm just trusting God's spirit that he will give us what we need and create understanding in our hearts as we do this. Jesus is the true temple. How does that work? Watch this, okay? In Eden, perfect fellowship in the presence of God perish kingdom, the presence of God is ruined between God and man. Adam and Eve are banished from God's presence. In the partial kingdom, God says, my plan is to partially reinstate my presence with my people, the tabernacle, which turns into the temple under Solomon. 
the temple housed the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, which was so limited, though, to God's people. One time a year, the high priest would go in, make atonement for the sins of the people, and have to leave the Holy of Holies where God's presence was, okay? There was a partial understanding of God's presence. Jesus comes, though, when Jesus is on earth, Jesus is is the temple of God. Jesus is the presence of God. Jesus is God himself. So in John chapter 1, it says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt, literally in the Greek, tabernacled. Jesus tabernacled. Jesus was the presence of God. So Jesus comes, stay with me here. If you get this, it's so beautiful. Jesus comes as God. He dies for our sins, making a pathway to God. The temple curtain is torn from top to bottom, symbolizing and signifying anyone with faith now can be with God forever. So watch this, ready? The presence of God, Eden diminished by sin, tabernacle, temple, Christ is the true temple. Therefore, therefore, if anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have permanent access to God's presence forever. The song we sang to start today is, this is where worship starts, here in the temple of my heart. That is the profound impact of the present kingdom. It's no longer, ready, ready, I love this so much. It's no longer a building. You don't go to a building, man, to worship. Ready? Ready? In Christ, because of Christ, because of the present kingdom, you are the worship. See, we are called temples of the Holy Spirit. That's why the curtain was torn. In John chapter 4, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, the woman at the well is so convicted in her sin and her many husbands, she tries to change the subject to worship. And Jesus is like, you want to talk about worship? Let's talk about worship. Worship now is not on a mountain for the Samaritans, not in Jerusalem for the Jews. He says the time is coming where you will neither worship on this mountain or this place, but the Father is seeking worship. Listen, who will worship him in spirit and in truth. See, what does that mean? It means it's not about the building anymore. It's not a place, except the place is here. Look here. The place is here. Jesus says, now the time is coming where true worship will happen within the person. See, if Jesus, you you have to see, you have to be thankful, you have to worship the Lord for worship, okay? Watch, why? When Jesus comes, what he does now, it's not isolated to a few people close enough to the scene. Whether you're in the underground church in China, whether you're in some remote tribe in Africa who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, whether in the southern tip of South America, doesn't matter where you are in this world. If you believe in Jesus Christ, here's the promise. Jesus and his spirit comes and takes up residence in your heart. He resides in you forever. He will never, ever leave you. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our salvation. Why is that possible? Because of the present kingdom. If Jesus did not come, that was not possible. If you can be here today, and if you have a sense of God's spirit filling you, if you watch the baptisms, you have tears in your eyes like I did, That is the promise fulfilled of what Jesus Christ came. If he did not come as the true temple, that never happens. You you and I have no chance. And now we have full access, 100%, every day, every minute, every second, for all of eternity to God himself, because Jesus came as the true temple. It's a wonderful, wonderful reality. If the Lord gives us understanding, our worship should be growing as we speak. Thirdly, we see this. Jesus establishes the new covenant Again, every point so massive. God help us. So in Luke's gospel, Last Supper, upper room, Jesus with his disciples drops a bomb. He said, now the disciples would not really understand what he's saying. Uh, later on they would. 
Listen to what he says. He says here, he says, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, wait, 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 wait. Again, if you have biblical understanding, wait, Jesus, new covenant. Like Jeremiah 31, new covenant. So wait, wait, what about the old covenant? It's going to be gone. The old covenant is going to be obsolete. Hebrews 8. The old covenant, remember all those animals being sacrificed? He's like, no, no, no. I've come as the Lamb of God. I am the Passover Lamb, 1 Corinthians 5. Okay? So all, the, all that used to be done, that's all changing. This is Thursday night before Good Friday when Jesus says this. The lambs are being prepared for the Passover on the very... When Jesus dies on the cross, the lamb's blood is flowing all through the temple. And Jesus, as the Lamb of God, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of all humanity. That's why, because of the new covenant, uh, Romans 6, Hebrews 7, Hebrews 8, Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10 says, there's a once and for all sacrifice. It's Jesus Christ. When he dies, there's never another sacrifice needed in the history of humanity because in my blood, there's a new covenant. Loved ones, that's why you don't have to earn your salvation. Jesus has done everything for us to earn it for us. We are called simply to believe. That is the reality and the beauty and the glory when he stands up in that one moment, that one sentence says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That is the present. That's why he came. He came to be born to live, listen, and to die. He came to die that we might be saved again through the shedding of his blood. And then, fourthly, and lastly, point of theology God teaches, God help us. Jesus is the new king. So, think about it. If the kingdom is present, If it's truly a kingdom, then it needs to have a king. And if the kingdom is present, then the king must also be present as well. That's why the the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a massive emphasis on kingdom. Jesus is like, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is like. The kingdom is like. The kingdom is like. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. So much emphasis because the king is with us. Think of the earthly kings that failed. Even David. They failed. David was a type of Christ in his kingship pointing to the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Again, in the present kingdom, Jesus, I love when Pilate, when Jesus is dying, he writes on king of the Jews and the, and the Jews are, Jewish leaders are so mad. No, don't write that. He's like, what I have written, I have written. And the reason he did that is because under God's sovereignty, Jesus is who he is. He is the king of the Jews. He is the king of the world. He's the king of the universe. Jesus is the king. Now, I want to kind of conclude this message with um, an illustration that Von Roberts gives in his book. And I read it. I was so encouraged by it. Hopefully you've read it too. But I want to just share it with us all to make sure we get it. Okay? What he does to kind of summarize the reality of Jesus being king in the, in the, in the present kingdom and what's happening in this message right now. He says this. Imagine an, um, an orchestra. In order for an orchestra to be Um, used as it's meant to be under its design. Two essential ingredients are needed beyond the musicians themselves. An orchestra needs a score of unity, a musical score, and it needs a conductor. Without a score and without a conductor, what you have in an orchestra is maybe a bunch of talented musicians, but it's total chaos. 
You have a mess. The, the notes don't fit together. It's just disruptive. It's, 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 it's disharmony. It's, it's, it's craziness. And the whole point of the illustration is this. What sin has done is sin has taken the orchestra that God designed to be ruled under his blessing and under his authority, under his sovereignty. Sin has blown that up. Sin has dismissed God's word, the score. It has rejected it. And sin has caused us to be separated from the conductor himself, or at least God the Father in that sense, and caused us to be removed from him. Jesus Christ comes to earth when he does as the present kingdom to reestablish the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and his word, the score, to you unite all musicians who trust and love him and he stands up as the conductor and he says this if you want your music to start sounding in harmony again if you want your life to start making sense if you want the design of God to be seen upon your life in the way that it was supposed to be you get in line with me you give your life to me you trust in me you receive my love upon you and your life will begin to make music you never dreamed possible but if the world rejects the conductor and dismisses the score, it will continue to live in the world that we see around us right now. Chaos, violence, hatred, pain, disharmony, misery, depression, hatred, murder, death, all over and over and over again. That's what happened when humanity rejected the conductor and rejected Jesus Christ and rejected God's plan of truth. But Jesus comes to establish in the present kingdom to say, I am here to make things new. I am here to call people who want to live life as they were meant to live under my rule, under my blessing, with my presence and my love and my gospel to serve my Father and to see the peace of God fill their lives. He won't force you to do it, but he invites you to a whole new level of glory that your instrument might take part in the greatest score ever made, ever designed, and ever performed that you've ever imagined. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the glory found, listen, in Jesus Christ alone. And again, every life you've heard this weekend testifying to that is someone who is placed by faith, has placed their life under the truth, the score of the Lord Jesus, and have received the direction under the great conductor, the perfect conductor of all time. And he says, this is the life that I offer to you. It's incredibly beautiful, incredibly powerful. And that's, that's why the present kingdom is everything. Without the present kingdom, we don't stand a chance. But in it, all things are possible and eternity is absolutely guaranteed in heaven with the Lord. So think about this message as we summarize right now, right? How thankful are you and I for the present kingdom with Jesus Christ. Think about it. Because of the true Adam, our sins are forgiven. Because of the true temple, we now are temples of the Holy Spirit. God's presence, if we believe, God's presence in us. Because again of the new covenant, our salvation is guaranteed guaranteed. You cannot lose your salvation if you are truly saved. Because of the new king, ready? Because of the new king, we are sons and daughters of the king. How thankful must we be for the reality of the present kingdom where this life would never, this world would never be the same again and our lives also. If we trust in Christ and believe in him, they also will never be, they won't be easier with Christ, but they'll be so much better. But the day is coming, loved ones, where it's going to get really easy. It's called heaven, and it's called no sin, no death, no, no Satan, none of that's ever, ever. That, that day's coming soon. It's so worth living for. The promises made by Jesus Christ, and, I, uh, and, and here, ready, ready? And he did all this, why? Because he loves you so much. 
at the end of the day, when you sit back and you say, man, like, you know, pattern, the parish, we did that, you know, promise, partial, prophesied kingdom, and now you're like, present, well, why, why would he do that? Because God so loved the world. Because God so loved the world, he gave his only son as the present kingdom. That whoever believes, not, not earns their salvation, not does good deeds, not tries to be a good person, whoever believes in him, whoever believes, listen, listen, will not die. Here's the promise. Will not die. Will never die, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life, which means when you die physically, you live forever spiritually. You are with Jesus Christ forever. I did a funeral this week of a really good friend, man in our church. And his reality is he's passed from this life and he began to really live as he struggled with cancer for 20 years. And now to be absent with the body, to be present with the Lord. He is starting to live his life as it was meant to be because of the present kingdom and Jesus Christ and all that he gave. How thankful must we be. God, make us so thankful. Amen, church? Let's pray. Let's pray. Two people I speak to right now. The believer, your gratitude with me, your... Your, your gratitude and worship must be immense. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming. Thank you for living. Thank you for dying. Thank you for being raised from the dead. What gratitude must we give him? What worship does he deserve? What joy can we offer him in song and with our lives? The second person, the one who doesn't believe or has not yet believed, you know you're invited today by God himself to begin a relationship in his son, Jesus, to turn from sin, to ask him to save you, to heal you, to restore you, to redeem you, that you might forever be saved in Jesus Christ. It won't be what you, by what you do. It will be by what and who you believe in. His name is Jesus. Call out to him. Ask him to save you. You can be the next person in the baptism tank testifying to the Lord Jesus Christ that he has set you free never to be the same again because he decided in love to come to this earth that he would die for us. And that's why we can rejoice together. And I pray that, Holy Spirit, you will give this, 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 this church a song. Give us a song. Help us to sing. Help us to rejoice in a truth that could never be taken from us. Yes, Lord, do it. Do it now, I pray, among us. In Jesus' name, amen.